0: Now, those of you that know me know that I'm a pretty clean and organized guy. But God, in his infinite wisdom, always chose to give me roommates who were not so clean. It was a bit hard for me. I remember getting to college my freshman year, meeting my freshman roommate, and I could immediately tell that personal hygiene was not high on this guy's priority list. Took a little bit of comfort in the fact that he had a bottle of mouthwash on his dresser, that was never opened all year long. And he had this pile of dirty clothes that would sit on the carpet. And I kid you not, it was like an amoeba. You'd leave a half-eaten pizza on the floor and it would just like suck it up. And two weeks later, we'd find the pizza box on the other side. It was gross. He was just a gross guy. So then afterwards, I moved to Washington, D.C. And my roommates there were no better. Just as dirty. And this was D.C., so we ended up with a rat living with us. It was like the size of a small dog. It was like a fourth roommate. We'd see him like every morning, I don't know, going to the kitchen and grabbing a cup of coffee and nosing through the trash. I don't know what he was doing. But this continued right up to the time when I met my wife. I still had messy dudes I was living with. We used to joke in that place that we were going to tear up all the, uh, the carpet out of the family room and put a big old drain in the middle and we just hose it down about once a week. But the funny thing happened with that last place When I got engaged to my wife. See, when I got engaged to my wife, I knew I was moving on to something that was by far better. I was moving on to to marital bliss. And I started caring less about the mess that I was living in, in the current place. I started caring less when things went wrong. The joy of where I was going carried me through the remainder of my bachelor life. And the same principle holds for Christians. Because if we know where we're going... And if our focus and our investment is in our future home, we're going to be more content here in our temporary home. We're going to be better able to navigate the trials and the tribulations that come in this life, and we'll be better able to find joy in the midst of all of this. And that's the principle Luke drives home in his final section of the book, and that's that an understanding, an understanding of the resurrection and an understanding of our eternal life that it provides should do two things. It should first not only give us an eternal focus in all that we do, but second, it should give us just this overwhelming sense of joy that permeates all aspects of our life. And that's what I want to talk about here tonight, how you can make that joy a reality in your life. So with that, let's turn one last time to the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 50 to 53. We are finally there after 24 chapters, 191 lessons, 1,151 verses. We finally arrived here at the end of the book of Luke. And as you're turning there, let's go ahead and review Pastor Mike's points from his sermon this weekend on the very same topic. And he gave us three points. Put them on the screen behind me. He gave us three points. He said, first, we need to rejoice in a fantastic future because we're going to a place that's much, much better and we can rejoice in that. And then second, we can rely on a faithful promise. We can trust Christ to be faithful to his promise to go and to bring us to where he is. And then finally, third, we can rest in a powerful protector. Christ is the one that protects us and nothing can separate us from his love. And these truths can give us great joy and great peace knowing that Christ has risen from the dead, knowing that he is its secured eternity for us. And knowing that one day we will be with Him, it's a joy that just jumps off the page in these last four verses in the Book of Luke. So let's go ahead and read them. Luke chapter twenty-four, verses fifty to fifty-three. It says then He led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up His hands, He blessed them. And while He blessed them, He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Following his resurrection, Jesus had spent many days teaching and encouraging his disciples. And we finally see him in verse 51 here. He parted from them and he was carried up into heaven. Now, it's important to remember that this is not the end of the story because where Jesus went, one day we will go. Earth is not our true home. It's not our eternal home. Heaven is our eternal home and we will spend eternity on a new earth in a new Jerusalem and our dwelling will be with God. And at a risk of oversimplifying this, I think this is a point, a reminder we so often need. I put it on your outline, point number one. We need to realize this is not your home. This is not your home. As a Christian, this earth, everything that surrounds us, everything that distracts us, it's not our home. We're not made for earth. We're made for somewhere else. We are made for eternity with God. And that eternity, living out a perfect life on a perfect earth with God, is better than anything we have here. Randy Alcorn describes it in his book, Heaven, like describing like the first time he went snorkeling. And he ducked his head underwater, and all of a sudden he saw it displayed in front of me dazzling colors. Fish of every shape and color and size, things he never could have imagined. And he said an audible gasp trickled up out of the snorkel at the amazing beauty he saw. And just imagine for you what it will be like when you see the wonders of God in heaven displayed in front of you for the first time. Things you never could have imagined so beautiful. I think a gasp is going to emerge from us as well at the wonder and at the beauty of our new home. And then you think about how foolish it is when we're distracted by the things of this earth. Things that are just cheap imitations of what's in heaven. And we're chasing after stuff, chasing after, I don't know, cars and houses and putting so much importance in things like, like reputation and careers and holding on to just, just looking good, which is something I had to give up on quite some time ago, but some of you are still hanging in there, still looking good. But I hate to break it to you, it's all just fading away. It doesn't satisfy, and you couldn't hold on to it even if you wanted to. Investing in the stuff of this earth, it's, just, it's as foolish as, as doing a major remodel on your hotel room. Imagine that, checking in, saying, Oh, hey, this is a great room. I think I'm gonna move the bathroom from here over there and put some new carpet in, put some new paint on. I go get myself a contractor, spend thousands of dollars, go through all that hassle. What would you say? You'd say that that's foolish. That's foolish because you're there for such a short time. That is a foolish investment. Well, guess what? Our life on earth, James 4.14, it's just a mist. We're there, and then we vanish. That short of a time, investing in this life is foolish, but heaven, heaven, that's eternity. That's our true home, and that is where true riches are. With joys of God, we can't even imagine, and that is where our investment should be. So don't, don't fall into that trap. Don't get distracted by the things of this earth, things that everybody else is chasing after. you got to realize this is not your true home. We're made for something that is by far, far better. We are made for eternity. And that's why the disciples back in our passage in verse 52 could return to Jerusalem with great joy. They didn't return disappointed that Jesus had left them. No, they returned with great thankfulness and with joy. Why? Because they knew what the resurrection meant. Most of us don't give enough thought to what the resurrection means. Christ conquered every one of our enemies, even death. And he is right now seated at the right hand of God, reigning over everything, everything. And as 1 Corinthians 15 says, he's the first fruit. That means we can now follow based on what Christ has done. And because of Christ, we too have conquered death and we can live with him forever. Just like his disciples, this should give us great Joy, a joy that's all-encompassing, a joy that comes from the resurrection. Or as I put it on your outline, point number two, you you need to live with resurrection joy. Live with resurrection joy, joy that comes from the fact that God would take sinners like us, sinners deserving condemnation, and give us eternity. With all the blessings, all the unimaginable happiness and joy, resurrection joy, that should blow us away. We should be astounded and amazed at this every single day. Early in our marriage, someone had given us a uh, a gift certificate to a night at the St. Regis Hotel, which I believe is now called the Monarch Beach Resort. I said, great. So we went in and uh, drove in. I'm too cheap to pay for valet, so pay in the self-parking, drive, drive down to the self-parking. And uh, I don't know if they still do this now, but at the time, they let you know how much of a cheapskate you were when you did the self-parking, because they sent you all the way down to the basement of the hotel, and we're down there with, like, the big industrial equipment and stuff that's just waiting to be thrown away, and you get to the lobby, you have to go into, like, a darker, dingier staircase that goes back up to the lobby, so we come walking in the lobby from a side door, sign over, it says, Cheapo's entering here, <laughs> and I don't know why, I don't know, I don't know why we did this, but... We didn't have suitcases. We just had a whole bunch of duffel bags. And my wife, my wife was pregnant, so she had one of those big pregnancy pillows. You've seen those things real long. It wouldn't fit in any bag. It wouldn't fit in any suitcase. So I just threw it in one of those big black plastic trash bags, <laughs> slung it over my shoulder with the, with the duffel bags, and they go walking into the lobby of the St. Regis Hotel, and the lady from behind the counter is looking at me going, no, no sir, there, there's, there's some sort of problem here. And I walked boldly up to the counter, and I slapped down that gift certificate, and I said, we've got a reservation. This is already paid for. And you know what they did? They let us in. (laughs) Plastic trash bag and all. A place we had no business being in. A place we could have never afforded, but we had a gift certificate that said paid in full. And they let us in, and it was amazing, and we experienced luxury we never could have dreamed of. We've got to have that same kind of amazement at the resurrection because we too, we're going to be led into a place that we've got no business being in. But we've also got a gift certificate from Christ and it also says paid in full. And we can experience the wonders of God for eternity because of what Christ has done for us. That's amazing. And that amazement should translate into real and practical joy in our lives, Our lives need to look different practically because we know we've got eternity. We have got to have resurrection joy. Do you have that resurrection joy? I don't know. Sure, yeah, heaven sounds good. Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about real, tangible, overwhelming joy because you know you've got a Savior that died for your sins and you know that you have eternity waiting for you. I don't know, how would I know that? Well, let me briefly give you four things that characterize a life of resurrection joy four things that characterize a life of resurrection joy four little pointy fingers starting with pointy finger number 1 a knowledge of the resurrection disciples spent 3 years with Christ learning about many things including the resurrection and that that fact gave them joys we saw in our verse same things for us the more we know about the resurrection, the more we know about heaven, what eternity will be like, the more excited we'll be and the more joy we'll have. Taking my family to Washington, D.C. this spring break, planning out the trip and thinking through all the monuments and museums. And I thought I'd break up the middle of the week and, and take the kids, take the family down to uh, Bush Gardens. Told my, told my kids, we're going to go down to Bush Gardens in the middle of the week. You know what they said? They said, Ooh, gardens? I don't know that sounds boring. I said, no, 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 you don't get it. This amusement park, they, they got roller coasters there. They said, what now? Roller coasters. So now they're looking it up on the website. Then They're watching videos of it and the rides, and guess what? Now they're excited. Why? Because they have more knowledge of what it is. Same thing's true with heaven. Not just a bunch of fluffy clouds and long worship services. No, there's real joys, there's real pleasures that Pastor Mike talked to us about this weekend. You just start to learn about it. You start to spend some time in Scripture reading about your future home. You just pick up a good, solid Christian book that talks about heaven. You're going to be encouraged by that. The more you understand about the resurrection, the more you understand about heaven, the more joy you're going to have. Second thing that characterizes the life of resurrection joy is contentment in trials. The disciples in our passage went home rejoicing. But trials and persecutions would, would soon come. If you read through the book of Acts, which we'll soon do here in Compass Bible Church, you can see their resurrection joy was undiminished because when eternity is secured for you, nothing else really matters. That's why James can say in chapter 1, with the verse on the screen behind me, consider it or count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And all of a sudden, I'm going to throw a flag on the plane and say, hold on a second, that doesn't sound like joy. Why is that joy? Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, produces endurance, produces perseverance. So you can get through life and you can get where you're going. You've always got to remember the goal here is eternity. And anything that prepares you for that is a good thing. So when your life is hard, when your marriage is hard, you're fighting with your spouse, when you when you don't have unity in your household, when the kids are rebelling, they're not, they're not respecting you like you should, you can know and you can have joy that God is strengthening you, building perseverance in you, and making you more like him. And you can also know and rejoice in the fact that one day it all will be set right when you're resurrected with him, so you can have that resurrection joy even in your trials. And you can even rejoice in the temporal and... and imperfect gifts that God does give us in this life. Gifts like our spouse to walk through the trials of life with us step by step. You can thank God for that and you can rejoice in that. And more than that, you can forgive when you're wronged in your trials. Whether it's a neighbor or a coworker that's wronged you in some way, or maybe it is even your spouse who's harsh with you or selfish with you. And unlike the world who is just absolutely consumed with wanting everything made right, right now, you can have the joy and contentment that comes from knowing that God will then make things right. And you can have that resurrection joy that allows you to be be quick to forgive and allows you to be content in your trials. There's a third thing that characterizes a life of resurrection joy, and that is investment in God's people. Because you look back at our passage, where did the disciples go with great joy? What does verse 53 say? They went to the temple, God's temple, together with other believers. Read Acts 2, it says they rejoiced and broke bread in people's homes together. You see, rejoicing in God is something that's most effectively done together with other believers. How often did they meet together? Once a week? No, what does it say? Continually. Literally, the Greek word here, all the time. All the time. Does this describe you continually gathering together with God's people and doing so all the time? And if I looked at your calendar over the last few months, would I see that? Would I see the joy of the resurrection driving you to be with God's people all the time? Would I see the reality of Hebrews 10 in your lives that says, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Well, how do I do that? by not neglecting to meet together. And It is the habit of some. Well, what should we do when we meet together? We should encourage each other about what? About the resurrection, about our eternity with Christ, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How many days a week are you meeting with God's people? Here at church? At your homes, having people over for dinner? Thrive Accountability Group, fellowships? You could feel every day of your week with this, and honestly, it wouldn't even be that hard. There's joy in developing these relationships. There's joy in seeing God working in people's lives. And it's a resurrection joy because these same people that we're talking about, these same Christians in your lives, are going to be the people that you're living with for eternity in the new Jerusalem. When everything else in this world fades away, these people and these relationships never will. You got to invest in God's people. And finally, the fourth thing that characterizes a life of resurrection joy is a commitment to evangelism. Because if you've got eternity secured, it is only natural that you're going to want to do the same thing for someone else. You can't have the joy of the resurrection. You can't have the joy of knowing you'll have eternity with God and not feel some sort of compulsion to bring others along with you. The parallel passage in the book of Mark, chapter 16, last two verses, 19 and 20, says, So then the Lord Jesus after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. It's exactly the same topic that we're talking about in the book of Luke. But notice what the believers do in the next verse there. In verse 20, a little different, it says, they went out and what did they do? They preached everywhere. If you've experienced the joy of the resurrection, really, this is the only logical response. You see, when Jesus was taken up into heaven, that marked the end of his earthly ministry. Now, the work of spreading the gospel message, who's that fall to? It falls to us. Right, this is our task. This is our job now to share the gospel. It doesn't matter if the world hates the message, it doesn't matter if the world hates us. Our job is to get out the message. That means at the end of each day, you should be sitting down and praying to God and asking yourself, What did I do? to further God's kingdom today. What did I do to share the gospel message? And if you didn't do anything, it's a wasted day. This shouldn't be a a harsh command. This is not something we have to do. This is something that we want to do. This should be something that springs up from the joy within us, the resurrection joy that we have. Because we do have a joy in sharing this amazing message. There's joy in being part of God's act of salvation. There's joy in seeing a life snatched from the fire and saved for eternity. That's amazing. And it's a joy that should compel us to share that message. Gotta live a life of resurrection joy. You see, when I became engaged to my wife, I still had to live with those messy roommates. Still had to deal with the Same trials as before, the same dirty dishes and the same messy rooms. But I had joy because I knew things were going to get better. Because I had a future wife that, that pledged that she would live with me. And I trusted her. And I knew that the day was coming when I could cast off those dirty roommates and enter into that marital bliss. When Christ ascended on the clouds, as Acts 1 tells us, angels appeared to the disciples and said, dudes, well, they didn't say dudes, but they said, dudes, why are you looking at the clouds? Why are you looking at the clouds? Christ will come back just as you saw him go. Don't let 2,000 years throw you off. Christ is preparing an eternal home for us. He will come back to take us to be with him if we don't die and meet him there first. We can be sure of that. We can take comfort in that, and we can find joy in that. A joy that comes from knowing that we're gonna spend eternity with God and a joy that compels us to live faithfully for him until that day that he calls us home. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. God, I thank you for for the joy of the resurrection, something that I know as Christians we probably don't meditate on enough, the amazing fact that you would take sinners like us and you would die for us and you would give us eternity, a place that we have no business being in, but a place because we have that that gift certificate that says paid in full, we can enter into your joy and your happiness and we can live with you forever. I pray that we can let this joy overwhelm our lives and cause us to be faithful to you. And learning about the resurrection, contending our trials, sharing your message, gathering together with believers, Lord, help us to live a faithful life to you because we know you are faithful to us to bring us safely home to the place that you prepared for us. I just pray that as we close this book of Luke, we can let these words of the resurrection and encourage us, encourage us with joy, but also encourage us with the challenge to go out and share your message and share this great news with other people so we can advance your kingdom and we can further that day when we'll get to come home and enter into your blessed kingdom. Thanks again for this time, and I just pray for a profitable small group time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.